Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. I think we need to start off by addressing the elephant in the room. All right, it's the Sunday after Super Bowl 2023. And on the screen in front of you is Philadelphia, the enduring church. And, you know, that just guts to hurt, right, for a lot of you. It's sort of like rubbing salt in the wound. Uh, so I thought, you know, the only respectable thing to do is to change my sermon title. Even though I developed this five months ago, it needs to be changed, right? So here's one of the ones I thought about. Philadelphia, the all-so-close, I mean, stinking close to Enduring Church. And I thought, okay, well, that, that might work. That might work. But here's another possibility as well. Philadelphia, the second, second most enduring church, right? Now, see, now that I've done my pastorly duty, and uh, I have comforted all the afflicted, uh, you're feeling much better, right? Right? Okay, well, no, maybe you're not. I'm sorry about that. But we are in this series on the seven letters in the book of Revelation. And we're in week six. And week six is the letter to the church in Philadelphia. And this is not Philadelphia uh, that you can hop in the car and drive to or take a short train ride to. Uh, this is Philadelphia uh, in Asia Minor. Philadelphia in modern day Turkey. And Jesus is speaking to all seven of these churches. And here's some things that we know about Philadelphia, the city, uh, the church at this point in time in history. We know some of the good. The good is that, man, they had a lot of great grapes. They were known for the production of wine. It's one of the goods of being and living in a volcano-prone area. Uh, another good we know is uh, they were referred to often as the road to the east because it was with the Roman road. Uh, they had an opportunity to go be a place of commerce and trade and industry. But we also know some bad for the city and the Church of Philadelphia at this point in time in history. And, and part of that bad is that just like the church that we talked about last week, their, their sister church, the sister city, uh, in about AD 17, they had experienced devastating earthquakes. As a matter of fact, for Philadelphia, it, it was huge because they're right there on a fault line. And they had not recovered. Decades later, they had not recovered. And as a matter of fact, if you were part of that city, you were part of that church, day by day, you would walk out and you would just see rubble. Uh, the remnants of great buildings that are only partially left standing or that are totally collapsed. Pile after pile after pile of rubble and devastation. And that ongoing uncertainty, you know, of will it happen again? Could it happen again? When will it happen again? And if you ever go and you tour that region or you go through uh, some, you know, of the old Greek sites or some of the old churches uh, that are written about here, something that you'll see over and over again are images like this. You'll see these pillars, uh, these pillars or these columns. And that is what is left standing thousands of years ago. Uh, all the roofs are gone. The majority of the walls are gone. 
but standing all over the place are pillars and columns. And if we have any engineers in the room or architects in the room, or you're just really good at trivia, why is it that thousands of years later, uh, you will continue to see pillars, you'll continue to see columns, but you don't see much of anything else left standing? Why is that? Because, all right, nobody's going to yell that one out. Because they found out the pillars, the columns could withstand earthquakes. When the ground was shaking, when everything was uncertain, when everything else was moving, when the roofs collapsed, when the walls were collapsing, these columns, these pillars could stand. And it wasn't a foolproof thing, but they realized that this was the best way to secure, to give a stronger foundation for a building. So it wasn't about the coolest look or designer thing. It was really functional that these columns and these pillars were used throughout that time period. If you're the church in Philadelphia and you walk out and this is what you see, rubble, a mess. You see the best, the glory days behind you and buildings collapse. It's a constant reminder of uncertainty and living in a land prone to volcanoes and earthquakes, uh, you're living with uncertainty. And today, in that exact same geographic location, right? Less than two weeks ago, modern-day Turkey devastating earthquakes. So far, what, north of 44,000 people have lost their lives. Hundreds of thousands homeless struggling to figure out where food will come from, where help will come from. And you get a glimpse of the uncertainty that the Church of Philadelphia was living with 2,000 years ago, but what people are living with today. But how about you? Do you ever feel like you're living in the midst of uncertainty? Like the ground, the land around you is like shaking more than you would like it to shake that your today and your tomorrows have so much more uncertainty than what you would like to live with or walk through. If that's you, you can relate to the Church of Philadelphia. You can relate to the life that they were living, living with uncertainty on so many different levels, far beyond the earthquake, but living in such a way that they earned the nickname, the Enduring Church. Living with constant uncertainty, but living in a way that they earned the nickname, the Enduring Church. So here's how the letter begins. Jesus says, write this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David, What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. There's a lot of similarities to the past five weeks, right? We know it's Jesus writing the letter. He's instructed John to put these words down and to make sure they get to the seven churches. We know that it's written to the angel, the leader, maybe the pastor of the church, but it's going to be read for everyone to hear. And we believe that all churches, all seven churches got to read all the letters as it was passed from one place to the next to the next. But we find something a little bit unique here. 
This whole concept of I have opened a door for you that no one can close. And what we have here is a promise at the beginning of the letter that we don't find until the end of the other letters. The order is a bit changed here. It's a promise that Jesus has all power and authority over the kingdom of heaven. What he opens, nobody else can close. What he closes, nobody else can open. And despite the opposition and the hardship and the persecution and the trials and the suffering that the church of Philadelphia has been experienced, despite all of that, Jesus says, I have you. You are mine. I got this. You are secure in my kingdom. Nobody else has the power to take that away. Here's a situation that the church in Philadelphia was facing. Unlike the previous city, their relationships with the local Jewish synagogue were not good. It was all tension. And and the church in Philadelphia, they had been kicked out of the local synagogue, kicked out because they were professing Jesus Christ as the long-awaited Messiah. You see, the door to the Jewish synagogue had been closed on all of them. They had been excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue. And because of that, they were often left in uncertainty. They were often left in brokenness. Relationships with family, with friends were severed. People they could no longer do life with. The door to the local synagogue was closed on them, turned away from a key part of their culture. They are brokenhearted. John Stoll says it like this. He says, they were kicked out. They were alienated from family and friends because the synagogue was the center of the social life. The sense of exclusion was deep. This is very real brokenness, separated from family and friends. But it goes even deeper than that because when you were part of a local synagogue in Roman-controlled culture, you had certain benefits that were given to you, certain protections that were given to you. And when your name was crossed off, when the door to the synagogue was closed to you, uh, you faced increased persecution from Rome and from local Jews. You lost privileges that you had before. And Jesus sees the church in Philadelphia as having to endure and go through all of these trials, tribulations, suffering, persecution, and hardship. And he continues on in his words to them. And he says this, he says, you have little strength. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Jesus observed this as he walked day in and day out with the local church, just like he walks with us today. He observed that they had little strength. Now, come on, you and I, we might take this as a diss, right? But Jesus says this as a commendation. Jesus sees this as a positive. Jesus says, come on, you might have little strength, yet you were doing all of these good things. See, Jesus says this is a statement of reality. The church in Philadelphia has little strength. 
It's not that it is bad. It's just the reality of where they are at. Do you ever feel like you have little strength? Do you ever feel like you have little strength? Maybe you're just growing older and you feel weaker. Maybe there's some kind of a crisis in your life, financial, relational, health. Maybe you're just going through a time of, you know, suffering or hardship or trial and you can feel so incredibly weak. And our society, our culture automatically puts this in the negative column, feeling weak, having little strength. But if you're sitting here today and that's you, you got to know that Jesus does not do it that way. Jesus puts this little strength, feeling weak, in the positive column. When you are weak, when you have little strength, you rely more on others. When you are weak, when you have little strength, you rely more on God. And most of us, come on, if we're being brutally honest with ourselves, if honest with one another, we'd be like, I, I, that little strength thing, I don't want that. I, I want like a lot of strength. Uh, I like want to be self-sufficient, self-sustaining. I, I want a lot of strength. That's just what I want in my life. We struggle to understand and comprehend Jesus' words to the church in Philadelphia, you have little strength as a positive. Because come on, when you and I are at our strongest, we can do what we want when we want to do it. And we can rely on our own strength, which also often leads to living on our own strength. And we quickly lose the importance of community. And we quickly lose the, our dependence on God. And Jesus sees his followers with little strength and they're practicing obedience and they're practicing allegiance. They're remaining faithful to the teaching of the apostles that have been handed down to them. And in the midst of uncertainty and hardship, they remain faithful in following Jesus. And Jesus continues his word to the church in Philadelphia, what, what he's going to do, and he says this, he says, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. And Jesus assures them, I, I got this. This isn't a battle that you have to fight. The day's coming when it'll be clear to everyone who I really love, who my children actually are. The Christians in Philadelphia had become broken by their exclusion from the synagogue and the persecution and hardship that they've had to live with and go through. Many faithful followers throughout the centuries have had relationships broken when they've decided to follow Jesus. They faced hardship when broken relationships, separation from family. Those kind of things leave anyone broken hearted. But yet we understand that God is close to the broken hearted. God's promise is to live with and embrace the broken and the humble just as he says that he is far from the proud and the self-sufficient. And then Jesus continues his words of commendation to the church in Philadelphia, and he 
says this. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Now, now most interpret Jesus' words of protection as this. Jesus' followers like you and I will face difficulty, will face trials, will face suffering, but God will give us strength to endure the difficulty and suffering. He will walk with us through it all. But don't miss this. Most believe that this is not talking about removal from trials, difficulty, and suffering, but perseverance in the midst of it. And once again, if we're just being honest, that's not what we want. That's not the way that we pray, is it? We want like the get out of jail free card. Oh, we want to miss the suffering, the trial, the tribulation, the hardship, the persecution. Most honestly, because we're human, right? We pray like this. Jesus, would you just take this away? Jesus, would you just bring this to an end? Jesus, would you just make this go just a way that I don't have to deal with this anymore? Very, very few of us pray like this. Jesus, would you give me the strength to endure the suffering, the pain, the trial, the persecution, the tribulation. Our prayers don't often go like that, do they? We want the story of history to go like this. We want the story of the Church of Philadelphia to go like this. That after they read these letters, man, everything disappeared. No more suffering, no more persecution, no more trials, no more anything. But that's not the history of the church of Philadelphia. But God walked with them. He protected them. He gave them strength throughout it all. The next Jesus gives us instruction for living a faith, life of faith in the midst of uncertainty. He says this, I am coming soon. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And Jesus' instruction for the church of Philadelphia, I believe it's his instruction for so many of us, is hold on. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let go of my love and my truth. Don't walk away. Don't deny me. Don't give in to those who torment you. When life seems overwhelmingly uncertain, when life feels like pile after pile of rubble and destruction, when you're losing sleep and feel like your strength is limited or all but gone, Jesus' words are hold on. What are you facing? Some of you, some of you, you're facing financial crisis. And the message today is hold on. Some of you, you're facing a relational crisis. And Jesus' words to you today are hold on. Some of you, you're in the midst of a health crisis. Jesus' words today are hold on. Some of you, you're facing a dream unfulfilled. Always dreamed of starting your own business, but everything went sideways. 
always dreamed of having a child of your own, but after all the treatments, it is still not happening. Jesus' words are, hold on. Maybe you're here and you're feeling weak and broken. And Jesus says, hold on. Maybe you're facing an emotional or a mental crisis. And Jesus' words are, hold on. This past week, did anybody catch this disturbing stat that made the news? Teen girls who persistently feel sad or hopeless. 10-year increase to almost 6 out of 10 teen girls who feel sad or hopeless. About 30% of those same girls said they have seriously considered dying by suicide. A percentage that's up nearly 60% in 10 years. And if that's you, regardless of your age or your gender, Jesus' words are, Hold on. Get help. Don't try to travel this journey alone. And if that isn't you, who can you check in with? People in your life to really ask them how they are doing, to point them towards hope and help, to encourage them to hold on. For someone who feels like they have so little strength to help them understand that Jesus puts that in the positive column and encourages them to rely on his strength and on the surrounding community of friends and family and to hold on. C.S. Keener in commenting on this passage, he says this, he says, even in the worst situation, hope provides believers strength to endure. But perseverance is mandatory for participating in that hope. And Jesus encourages his followers to hold on in the midst of uncertainty and trials and hardships and suffering. And then he continues with his promise for all of those who do hold on, all those that do obey and persevere and endure. He says, all who are victorious will become pillars that image of columns. The church of Philadelphia, what they saw every time they went outside in the midst of rubble and destruction. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. God's promise to us. That image of becoming pillars. Stability and certainty in an incredibly uncertain world. When an earthquake would come and everybody would leave the city and wait for all the aftershocks to go away and they'd come back into the city. Sometimes the only thing left for them to see and recognize were the pillars that were there before. An uncertain world needs pillars. A world short on hope needs pillars. 
So that, that's a question for you. This week, who can you be a pillar for, right? Who can you lean in, provide certainty, strength? Who can you be a pillar for, for God, in their life? And the other part of that question is, who can be a pillar for you? See on your connection card, it's a next step. It's just something to take with you this week. And it reads like this. What does it look like to be a pillar in the church today? What about in your home? What about in your school or your workplace? In your community? In a world filled with uncertainty? In a world that is all too often short on hope? You can snap a picture of your bulletin or grab another one on the way out and walk with those questions in your life. Where do you find hope? Well, I want to tell you a story of where I found hope this past week because we always find hope in Jesus. It was Super Bowl Sunday during the game. I received a text from a friend that simply said, hey, Doug, are you tracking what is going on at Asbury? And we had both spent time there together and I'm like, the honest, honest answer is I have no clue what is going on. I'm doing a little bit of research and if you've been tracking and reading this week, it's a picture of hope. Uh, this is a line that's got over a half a mile wide, half a mile long, for people waiting just to get left into the sanctuary. Because we're at, what, day 10? has been going on of constant worship and prayer. Palpable presence of God. The veil between heaven and earth getting mighty thin. Students just wanting to linger for days upon days, praying, worshiping, because this is what it looks like on the inside, if you didn't see a picture like this. Just packed beyond capacity. Clearly just not wanting to leave the presence of God. Time seems to become irrelevant as the stories you'll hear as you listen to some of these students. On Monday, there was an article in Christianity Today, and it's one of the professors at Asbury and talking about what is going on. And he had this to say, because I thought this was so important. He says, some are calling this a revival, and I know that in recent years, the term has become associated with political activism and Christian nationalism. But let me be clear. No one at Asbury has that agenda. Because sometimes we'll hear people talking about praying for revival. I'm like, oh, that, that's not a biblical definition. When I pray for revival, that's not what I'm praying for. But what's going here on at Asbury, man, that gives me hope and encouragement in Jesus. He went on to describe, and he had this to say, he said, the mix of hope and joy and Peace is indescribably strong and indeed almost palatable. A vivid and incredibly powerful sense of shalom. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is undeniably powerful, but also so gentle. A beautiful picture of God doing what only God can do. I'm praying that this would spread and have impact that lasts for decades. Praying that the students in the midst of their little small town becoming overwhelmingly crowded would hold strong. 
as celebrity pastors and news people flood what God is doing and sometimes try and make it for their own personal agenda. But I'll just be clear, this is what God is doing. This is not what man can do. May we continue to place our hope in Jesus. May we continue to be a pillar in a world around us that is broken and hurting. People who stand strong for God, even when the earth is moving all around us. People who point those who have little strength to God, to Jesus, to what only he can do and where we find our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the letters to the seven churches. And in the church of Philadelphia, you only have good things to say. Only words of commendation, no words of condemnation. A church that was weak, had little strength, but yet endured, stayed true, did not waver. When literally the ground around them was shaking, when literally they walked day in and day out through piles of rubble in the midst of suffering and persecution and hardship and trials. They never forsaked your name. They never lost their way and they remained faithful and enduring and true to you. They found their strength in you. They found their hope in you. And they were able to be pillars in the midst of all of that to one another. So pray that for us, for Crossroads. In a hurting and broken world in a world that is all too often short on hope in days that all too often can, can seem overwhelmingly dark may we have that privilege of bringing light into the darkness, the light of Jesus may we stand strong like those pillars or columns in your strength and to make your strength known to those around us that sense of hope, that sense of renewal, that sense that you are walking with us in the midst of it all, protecting and providing. Jesus, may it be so for us. May the words that you would write to the church of crossroads in Mount Joy, even when you have little strength, you have remained faithful. You've obeyed my word. You've remained a light in the darkness. You have pointed people towards hope in Jesus. We pray that all in that most precious name, our Lord, our Savior, our, your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.